You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Welcome to the party, pal! Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... And welcome in to the Mackie and Judd Show. And this is a little bit different this week in that normally we would we would weave action movie rewind into our normal Friday episode, Judd Zolgad. But yes. Uh, but Declan has taken his verse vacation since COVID hit, and you and I are going to take a little bit of a longer weekend. And so we're actually recording this with very minimal production and uh, <laughs> me flying the plane instead of Declan. We're doing this on Thursday here so that we can uh, we can give people some content for the long weekend. So there won't be there won't be like the sound bites that you would normally get in Action Movie Rewind, but uh, we are going to do a deep dive into what is the probably the 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 OG of our twenty three action movies that we've done to this point. I don't think we've done one older than nineteen seventy four yet. No, I know I'm pretty sure that you are absolutely correct, and this is an interesting one. So this is Death Wish from nineteen seventy four. Let's give the summary and some facts yep. about it, and we can do a deep dive here. In this explosive story of revenge and urban violence, Charles Bronson plays Paul Kersey, a bleeding-heart liberal who has a change of opinion after his wife and daughter is violently attacked by a gang of thugs in their apartment. His daughter is sexually assaulted and his wife is murdered. Bronson then turns vigilante as he stalks the mean streets of New York on the prowl for muggers, hoodlums, and the like. 68% 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. A $4 million budget turned into $22 million at the box office. Charles Bronson, also a young, creepy Jeff Goldblum as one of the main Very brief. hoodlums. First appearance in a film for Jeff Goldblum. Oh, played a huge part at the beginning. And that was it. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll get to my take on why like he didn't come back at some point. This is from Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. At the time of the release, the film was criticized for its apparent support of vigilantism and uh, advocating unlimited punishment of criminals. Many critics were displeased with the film, considering, quote, an immoral threat to society and an encouragement of antisocial behavior. Mm-hmm. So this movie comes out and it's like, ah, this is going to this is going to result in some chaos around the country. Mm-hmm. So what are your what are your main impressions of and this was your choice here. What yes, are your main impressions of Death Wish? So I purposely did this without Declan because Declan would have hated the film. We're just sparing Declan from this. Basically, yes. Um, but this is a – so how can I put this? First of all, I think this might have been the first time, and I didn't realize it until I watched it, the first time that I've seen this all the way through. Like I've seen a bunch of the Death Wish follow-ups that came. Is Charles Bronson in the sequels? Yes. Okay. Yes. And And – this one was different in the sense that it actually had probably more of a plot line and tone to it and, and was completely serious in how it, it approached the, the fact that 1974 New York had turned into a cluster bleep yeah. of like muggings and things like that. Um, my main takeaway was I fully will admit 
It's going to be interesting to talk about breakdown. It has huge flaws. It doesn't really, to a large degree, necessarily hold up at all. But let me say this. You can see the beginning of a lot of ideas that crystallized then and were honed through the years. Yes. Uh, this in, is a pioneer. In things like Seagal, right? In things, and some good, some bad. But we can't lose sight of the fact that in 1974, to do what they did with the storyline and the idea of how of how a common citizen who feels violated would approach that was probably a big step this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but I'm serious in the cinematic experience of where things were going. I don't think that's a bad take. So, all right. My main impression of this movie is I had a low bar. I just, uh, there's, there's a lot of, I feel like the late sixties into like the seventies was a very experimental period with movies. Like you're kind of moving out of the traditional, I think you're right. you know, the cinema from the thirties and forties and fifties and the, and the Westerns and formulaic and, there were more risks being taken and and more directors were gaining fame in the 60s and 70s. And, um, and I can't remember the name of the, the – uh, but the the director of Death Wish is one of the most prominent directors of like the 70s. And, um, and, and the vibe of these movies, like whether it's horror movies from the 70s or these, these uh, thriller slash action movies from the 70s, it's a very like – dark and creepy vibe. Yes. There's not a lot of like, there's not like a Chris Rock character to lighten it up. You know, there's a lot of these movies are just very dark and grim and damp. And yes. And this movie has that sort of dread feel to it. Absolutely. And somewhere along the line, you know, in the eighties, there was, they found the mix of like revenge and action and death with like, Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. like like if if uh Mel Gibson's wife which I think she eventually did in in his film was killed, he was going to stalk down and find the person who killed her, but then he was going to shoot them with a funny line right before he killed them. Yeah, there was just more You're right, yes. Yeah. The, these were I think grim's a great word. These were very grim. There was no yes. there was there was nothing about Bronson that was oh, that was sort of funny. Yes. I'm with you. Um the opening scene I thought was kind of funny. You had 53-year-old Charles Bronson rocking a Speedo on the beach, taking oh, yeah. pictures of his wife with like a Polaroid. Yes. Of, and, trying to, and trying to coax his wife into getting it on on the beach. And, and she's like, no, let's just go back to the hotel. Okay. Yeah. I guess. So I actually, before we dive into all the details of this movie, I have one major, major takeaway and take that I want to run by you. Okay. All right. Charles Bronson essentially played Batman slash Bruce Wayne in this movie. Okay. He was Batman. So it's 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 got all the ingredients of a of a like like the first um I would say the the hmm. first Michael Keaton Batman and maybe even like the first Christian Bale Batman where so you're hunting down criminals in New York City. Mm-hmm. Check. Gotham mm-hmm. City is New York City. Mm-hmm. You're hunting down criminals in New York City. You're avenging the death of of your own family members by mm-hmm. going on and being a vigilante that that doesn't necessarily help the police, but is working sort of parallel to the police to take out criminals. He's doing what they won't do or can't do. Correct. Yeah. Batman did the same thing. Okay. You are a normal citizen without superpowers who has turned vigilante, which is check, check for both. Yeah. And the authorities in both cases are mostly mystified as to like, who you are and and who's racking up all these different kills. 
It is a bat. It's a yeah. Like you're, it struck, it's, struck me like half with you. I'm like, this yeah, is Batman. You know what? But you're, he's not dressed as Batman. You're right. Yes. Yeah. He's just he going was through killing bad guys. He, he was going to do what the police wouldn't or couldn't do, and he frustrated the police. And the police didn't really appreciate him, but they also were in awe of the fact. Yeah. You know what? That's a perfect. It's perfect. You're right. What did you think? I of- never. I never. Because I'm. I'm not a big Batman guy, so I get. I gave that zero thought until you just laid that out. You are exactly right. It is. It is largely Batman, and, and including, if I'm correct here, there are Batmans that are pretty dark as well, right? Yes. Well, the Christian Bale Batmans are all really dark. Okay. The Michael Keaton ones are a little more cartoonish. The first one's darker than the other ones. I love it. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so the you, you mentioned, like, the cops want to find out who the vigilante is, but they're also kind of like, boy, look at the mugging has gone down. Right, but mu- then they don't like the fact that the rest of New York might turn in to vigilantes, so they yes. really don't want to arrest him because they don't want a martyr on their hands, <laughs> but they just want him gone. Yeah, you know what? I think I think that you nailed that exactly right. I think that the Batman comparison is perfect. Yeah, they they said I love it. There was they went from like nine hundred muggings or something down to like four hundred or whatever it was nine hundred fifty a week to four seventy. Okay. Because of they were all scared of being killed by the vigilante. Yeah, because the bad guys who were we we do have to talk about the bad guys at some point here too. Let's actually just let let's just move right into the bad guys here. So you had you had the, the at least the bad guys at the beginning. You had the three hoodlums, Jeff Goldblum's group, terrorizing the grocery store, throwing and, the ham. But they take a ham and they throw it back with the hams. Like you would toss that if you were going to terrorize a grocery store, you would toss that ham like down the aisle <laughs> yeah. or like across aisles. My favorite thing is the guy takes the ham, takes it out, juggles the ham like it's a football that he's about to fumble, and then puts it back in with the hams. Yep, and they're and they're spray painting uh, like walls. They spray paint the apartment complex yes. when they find so they they see that oh there's a there's a woman and her daughter. We're going to go follow them creepily. Yes, and uh, and so they follow. They follow the family members up to the apartment complex. They sprayed swastikas on the wall, which was super creepy. Yes. And then they do unspeakable things to the wife and daughter, which is like... What did you think of that scene? Because... Super uncomfortable. Because here's the thing about the majority of that film. You know, when Bronson goes for his kills, they're not really gruesome, right? Like, he shoots them, and then and then he, he develops the, um, the Paul Kersey... A uh, patented shoot of "I shot you once. I'll sh- I'll I'll definitely shoot you at least twice." Yeah. But the rape and killing scene of Kersey's wife and daughter is like super violent. It is heavy. Okay, have you ever seen? Again, this is like a product of the era. So this is mid nineteen seventies. There was just a lot of these types of chances. I feel like being taken in the seventies in movies. And I'm a big horror movie guy. Have you ever seen the movie from nineteen seventy eight? I spit on your grave. Mm-mm. Like you'd never see it on TV because it's. So it's essentially, it's like an hour and a half, mm-hmm. maybe not even that. It's like an hour and a half, and it's a woman who gets sexually assaulted, and then she goes on like a revenge tour for the rest of the, like the whole thing is just super uncomfortable to watch. And then she goes on a revenge tour for the rest of the movie and just gruesomely kills like all of the people that assaulted her. And it's just like, you get done watching it and you're like, I feel like I violated the law by watching this movie. Interesting. That scene in Death Wish had me feeling like, Ah, can I watch? Like, ooh, but am I it, allowed to watch this? Like, but what was weird about that scene is that it was it was over the top violent, right? Like, it was really pretty gruesome. Like, it was to, to your word uncomfortable to watch. 
But then nothing else about the rest of the film itself and like the killings and stuff yeah. came close. So it was it was like they said, let's make this as violent and and for nineteen seventy four gruesome as possible. Which then I expected like the rest of the film to be gruesome, and it really wasn't. Yeah. It it was just sort of an odd choice of illustrating in that one scene and instance, we're gonna show you this really graphic scene. And then I don't know if they decided after that. Oh, that's pretty much it. We're not going to be as graphic. I don't know. I'm. I'm glad. No, I'm nothing glad else didn't. about the killings was that bad. Well, here's the thing that the the ultimate thing, like like least favorite part of the movie category here. The thing that bothered me is he never gets revenge on the actual killers. Yes, he just gets revenge on the city's muggers. Yes. So these guys, these three hoodlums, kill his wife. They assault his daughter. And 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 she's basically like in a trance yes. and has not been able to snap out of it. Yes. And he never like those guys never even come come back and be part of the movie. They're just gone. And the police basically say to to Charles Bronson, like, yeah, I mean, there's a chance we could find them. Right. Not really. So why not a revenge tour on those guys? Like, why not? Why doesn't he run into those guys? Because and, I think because I think the point I believe the point of the film is supposed to be vigilante justice against everyone in the city who is mugging and raping and pillaging. So, but but again, here's the thing: you're right. In subsequent films, I really think that this was one of the films, and it's just one, it's not the only one, that laid the groundwork for the genre of what was to come. So I think if you redid that film now, which they did, I think, with um, in 2018, uh, I am curious if, if the Bruce Willis, Paul Kersey character in that film does get the bad guys ultimately, because... I think in 1974, they were solely focused on going after bad guys without going after the bad guys, where where subsequently after that, it definitely became seeking revenge on bad guys. But the most important one was the Goldblum group, yeah. and they didn't do that. I mean, that's I, my guess. I should probably just like read more, but I would I would be curious to know. I'm sure there was a discussion about, OK, as this story unfolds. Should he get revenge on the guys that killed his wife or not? I wonder if they didn't put a premium on that, though, at that time, because that was probably one of the first films that had had one of the first that had vigilante justice as the theme. So I wonder if they just didn't think it was as important because he was going to get revenge on so many potential bad guys. Can we talk about the bad guys, though? Because, okay. They're everywhere, by the way. They are. Like, they you are. can't walk out of your house without getting mugged in New York in the 70s, apparently. And it might have been true, but here's my f- here's my give, favorite. Give me your money. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Is, and, it, is it all you got? Come on, Dad. So here's my thing about the bad guys. Is it not crystal clear? And this is And this might be why the Goldblum group didn't reappear to get their just desserts in Death Wish. Is it not clear? That the producers of that film, which was shot on location in New York, went and found everybody that they could who was probably, let's say, in the demo of 18 to 25 on Broadway (laughs) and said, do you want to be in a film? We'll pay you X amount. Because, honest to God, I halfway thought about three times the bad guys are going to break into a Jets and Sharks West Side Story song and dance. Like they're all dancing around with yeah. knives and they all have knives. But like one guy had a gun. Everyone else had a knife. But didn't you think that every one of those guys, for the most part, looked 
like they came off of Broadway musicals. Yeah, they didn't look they didn't look very tough. They didn't look tough, but they they're also scrawny. but they're also like come on and and then they're like swaying back and forth. I'm telling <laughs> you, weird. I thought they're all they all came from West Side Story. I just thought it was amazing too like the way that the muggers would approach. So Charles Bronson is this like grizzled um, he's got like a rugged hands and he's luring him, right? them in. So like they're following him. Yeah. These guys are all just like, yeah, you're right. It's the jets and the shark. It's West side story. Like they're all just kind of like prancing around with their, it's not the way you'd mug somebody. Very weird. Yeah. They, they almost need like a mugging coordinator to be part of the movie. Can we get a real mugger in here to show these guys yeah. what a mugger looks like? Like a mugger jumps you, right? Like Bronson never really got jumped. And I get that, like, crime has been a problem in, in big cities in New York City throughout the years. And, like, I, yeah. I, I totally get that. But was it really that bad? Like, this Charles Bronson gets randomly it, mugged, like, six times. I think it was. But I think the difference is in in real New York in 1974, if you got mugged, I think you got jumped. But but Bronson rarely gets jumped. Like, he'll be walking down the street and somebody will come out and be like, come on, give me your money. And they're, like, <laughs> so far away. They're basically saying, but if you got a gun, go ahead and shoot me because I'm in perfect position to be shot. Super weird. Yeah. I know. There's a lot of there's a lot of very odd things that now you'd go back and be like, why don't we just sort of shoot that differently? Uh, The family. uh, Another theme here, too. The family did not do, in my mind, a great job of coping with a terrible, tragic situation. (laughs) Well, but so um, a few different things that came to mind here. So so Paul Charles Bronson really was like not emotional at all when he found out that his wife was dead. Like the doctor comes out and says, I'd like to talk about that scene too, but yes, go ahead. So did the doctor first tell him that his daughter was fine? And then the doctor first told him and his son-in-law. And I think the doctor told the son-in-law specifically to his face. Hi, your wife. uh, Yeah. She's been uh, raped and mugged and she's resting and she'll be fine. And that's when Paul Kersey says, what about my wife? Oh yeah, she died a while back. Yeah, she just sort of turns around. Like, she died a couple hours ago. She just died, sir. Sorry. And then the next scene, it's yes. like they show a funeral scene, and then and then right after that, Paul goes back to work, and his bosses and coworkers are like, "Welcome back, Paul. We, Good we, to be back we, to work." The line is, "We knew you'd come right back," <laughs> like, and they're just back to work. And then they go to Arizona, which we'll get to that part too. But yes. uh, also, <laughs> there's the there's the scene where so the son-in-law. Is is home with his wife who has not yet gone into the mental facility. Yes, she's just still traumatized and in shock. Yes, and I love how like the doctors apparently let her out of the hospital still in shock and traumatized. She's basically comatose, but she's not in a coma. So she, I think she goes home. Yes, and she's laying in bed at one point, and son-in-law walks up as if like everything's normal, and oh, I thought you were asleep, honey, and she just turns. And screams at the top of her lungs, yes. like they're just acting like nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. The family, the family feels like they just sort of shovel their feelings deep into their bodies, and uh, and then Bronson starts, to, and and then Kersey starts to kill bad guys, is like purged of all guilt and trouble, and like he's now playing records. He's playing. The Herbie son-in-law Hancock. comes over. Yeah. yeah. Who, by the way, was was the composer for yeah. the film yep. Herbie Hancock. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is a uh, that is a weird one. And yes, the doctor. So the doctor informing Paul Kersey his wife is dead. That was without meaning to be almost comical, though, because Paul Kersey Bronson goes, what about my wife? Yeah, she died a while ago. Sorry. A couple hours back. I don't know. Yeah, yeah her body's still in there. But the other one, but, but your daughter's fine. Up. So like, what the hell? OK, <laughs> answer me this. And and. 
um, Donna actually stopped in, in the room and asked the same question. So the scene of the, of the funeral, they bury his wife in Connecticut, yeah. which is not far from New York. It's snowing in Connecticut. Correct. But I can't figure out the time of year for the rest of the film because in New York, it's sometimes it's snowing, but it's sometimes it looks like it's summer or at the very least spring. That's true. They're not like. Can you yeah. help me out? Because in Connecticut, it's a basically a blizzard. So it has. My guess is it's probably around. It's between like Thanksgiving and Halloween time. Okay, I, I'm guessing it's like it was like an early snowfall in Connecticut because I lost track. But there's no snow on the ground in New York. Right. right. So it's clearly not January, February. Right. It's probably not Christmas because there would be snow on the ground almost. You know, there was a, to your point, there wasn't, there was a scene where he comes out of his apartment and there is like a Halloween part, a costume, a bunch of people in costumes, right? So it's, it's, so it's, because we had a Halloween blizzard here one time. So it's probably between like Halloween and and Thanksgiving. I just couldn't figure out if they had like shot it in different segments and couldn't really decide. Yeah, let's just keep the snowing. That's also the creepiest, darkest time of year, too. And it's just a perfect setting for a movie like this for it to take place around that time. Good point. There's uh, there's less sunlight, so there's just more time for muggers to be out on the and corners. And for Paul to go out, and for Paul yeah. to go out with his gun. Another key theme was was the guns. So you had Paul coming to terms with his inner animal throughout this movie. Yes, right. Yes, it's the the the, the first time he hits that mugger with a sock full of quarters, and he and he goes back to his apartment and just lets out like he just starts swinging it around and lets out a scream at one point. Right, uh, guzzles some whiskey, but. After his wife dies and after the funeral, and he goes back to work and welcome back, Paul. We're gonna we're gonna go on a trip to Arizona. We got a real estate developer down there named Ames, and so they go down. And they meet Ames down in Tucson. Yes, I ha- have. You been to Tucson before? I don't think so. I'm Tucson. So I'm pretty sure no. Old. I have been to old Tucson where they do the old western shootouts and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like the John Wayne movies were filmed there. Uh, it's kind of cool if you ever get a chance to go down there, but. But they meet down in Tucson with this real estate developer, Ames, who loves guns. Yes. And we find Sir out. Sir Margolin, great, great uh, character a- actor. He was on The Rockford Files for years. Okay. So Angel we, Martin on The Rockford Files. And so we find out that Paul was uh, a conscientious objector during the Korean War. And so he didn't, he wasn't in the actual war. He served as right. a medic. Yes. His father was killed in a hunting accident, and his mother refused to let him use guns. And so he has just, like, very little experience with guns and killing. And But he's got his daddy's genes for shooting. He does. And Ames sneaks a gun into Paul's luggage, which is something that would never be able to happen today. Did you sneak not a, find that scene hilarious? Briefcase. They get on the plane. Did you not find that great? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to check this bag. I think it might have a pistol. I'm not quite sure. Not sure. Maybe, uh, maybe check it, or maybe don't, because it's the 70s and no one cares. But uh, but he gets back to New York and he finds this gun and that's when he st- he finally takes it out and he he makes his first kill and it feels good. So what did you think of that whole thing? I actually thought it was brilliant. I just like the storytelling in this well, movie go back, was really good. Go back to the the uh, scene in Tucson at the Western where they're reenacting what a robbery or something, mm-hmm. and he's watching that and and I agree. So. During the course of the scene in uh, Tucson, you can see the wheels in uh, Paul Kersey's uh, mind grinding about how, oh, this is how you do it. This is how you get revenge, extract. I give them credit for doing a really good job. It might have lasted too long, but they did a really good job of sort of building up not just his angst, but how he planned to exact the revenge about that angst. Like this was pretty well thought out storyline wise. 
and pretty well scripted. So yeah, I thought that that whole, whole thing about the back the backstory being that his dad loved guns was clearly a good shot, I guess. Because he got shot, as you said, in a hunting accident, but it was by a guy who thought that Paul's dad was a deer or something, so he just accidentally blew Paul's dad away. That's why I don't hunt. Yeah, and I I hate (laughs) guns, too. But anyway, uh, that was the part of the story that actually made it a real film and not just a revenge, let's kill a ton of people film. Were the other Death Wish follow-ups? No. Were they more plot-driven or no? No, no, no. He kills people left and right. (laughs) They are are pure eye-candy entertainment of death. That's hilarious. So, yeah, no, this was the one where where there was actually a goal that's pretty clear of of how they're going to get from point A to point B. Could they have gotten there a little bit quicker, in my opinion? Once again, yes, but it was... For that time, pretty well scripted. Your thoughts on liver and spaghetti as a dinner? Very Bronson. Have you ever had liver? Yes, I like liver. Most people hate. I feel like I've had it. Most when people I was hate a kid it. And... Most people hate it. Kids, kids abhor it. I like it. What does it taste like? I don't remember. Uh, so I, I describe it sort of as gamey, gamey t- tasting sort of meats. It's like something you you would have killed and shot and skinned and stuff. It's pretty good, though. It doesn't sound like something you would it's enjoy. It's pretty good, but but it's, Bron- but it's very... Look, the Bronson character itself as Kersey, um, or the Kersey character, it's pretty well honed. Like, this was... I can't say this en- enough because it's probably... It probably looks cliched now in 2020. But, you know, in in 1974, to come up with this vigilante character... Who is going to exact the the type of revenge that guys like Seagal eventually did was pretty brilliant. Yeah, that, Seagal's a good comparison because Seagal movies are all like they're not like vigilante necessarily, but they're all just like getting revenge for something that happened. And, and you just kill. And Seagal, I feel like like Death Wish and Seagal films share this in common: the kills are the most important thing. Everything leads up to the kills. Like you just yeah. want a lot, but but I feel like it, it's like pitch count. Don't you? It's like ultimately you'd like to kill the guy that did that did you wrong, and Seagal always does. But in the meantime, it's just going to be a lot of kills. Yeah, and and did Charles Bronson ever add like quippy one liners to his game in the sequels? Or yes, no? actually, there. Yes, to your point, he one thousand percented, including one where where I believe a guy has participated in a rape in a parking garage, and Bronson walks in and. Or was it in a basement? Anyway, long story short, um, the guy has has a cross on, and Bronson says, "Do you believe in God?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, I do," because he knows he's gonna die. Yeah, I do. And he goes, "Good," because you're gonna meet him, and he blows him away. <laughs> and of course, he shoots him right oh, through the God. cross. It's amazing. And and the other <laughs> thing about films during that time too is it's clear they tell the actor being killed. You got to sell it. So if they get shot, they either fly backwards like way too much probably yeah. or or if it's the patented Kersey double shot, he shoots him once and he shoots him twice. And the second time they like pop up really convincingly. Yeah, there is. We, we still haven't evolved fully. Like now when, when you watch these movies now, like the kills are very realistic. Then there was a time like back in the 30s and the 40s. You watch like war movies from the 30s or something like or like Sergeant Striker, that John Wayne movie from the 50s and. <laughs> Every kill is like this dramatic, oh, yes. spin around, like X's on the eyes. <laughs> oh. 
And this movie hadn't it – wasn't, it wasn't that corny, but it was like pretty corny still. And the blood looked super fake and like way too – That's the thing red. is how, how was blood so bad back then? I don't know. That's a great point. It's also um, – what's the color? It's also sort of pink. It's definitely not a realistic color. Like it doesn't look or, yeah. like real blood. Yeah. I mean I've never been shot before. but I've, No, but I mean you you've – if you cut yourself – the blood is a specific, to me, sort of darker red, right? Like, it's a red, but it's not pink. Like, my blood's not pink. I feel, I feel like every kill in that movie looks like like a, like the top of a Maker's Mark bottle or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, very, it's a very odd. Um, another another nitpick in this movie for me, yep. and maybe this is just me, but the son-in-law calls Paul dad. I, which confused me, by the way. Like, I was finally trying to think, is that his daughter-in-law then who died? Yes. Uh, it's his daughter who died. Yes. And it's not who died, I guess, who was in a coma or comatose. So the son-in-law is calling his father-in-law dad the yep. entire movie. Yep. Is that weird? Yeah. Yes. I think be- that's weird. Um. Okay. If he had done it like once or twice, then it's not weird. But here's what I didn't get about the entire film's dialogue. And it was true of the, the son-in-law with Paul Kersey, because you already calls him dad constantly. And it's also true when Paul Kersey goes to the police station the first time to ask if there's been progress on the investigation into the murder of his wife and his daughter being assaulted. Did you notice the amount of times the guy at the police station that talks to Paul Kersey calls him Mr. Kersey? It's like eight times. Okay. Mr. Kersey, we just don't know. Mr. Kersey, Mr. Kersey. It's like... Very formal. Okay, yeah. And you know what? That's fine. Once or twice. People were more formal in the 70s, though. People aren't formal at all now. But it was almost like this. It was almost, I, I don't know what the guy, I don't know what they were thinking. But yes, the dad thing to me became odd and confusing because they did it so consistently. I did start to ask myself, so is that his daughter-in-law who got assaulted? Because I became confused as to who was okay. the actual kid. According to Wikipedia, it's, his, it's daughter. his daughter. Right, but to your point, that's where... I didn't need the son-in-law calling him dad 87 times. Yeah. Maybe that was a thing. I don't know. Maybe 50 years ago, did, did, people, no. did people call Not as far as I their know. father-in-law? But anyway, dad? but anyway, just streamline the script. <laughs> like, you didn't need to call him dad every single time. Before we get into the... Well, let me ask you this. Uh, who is your favorite character in the movie? I'll give you mine. I think yeah, it was the, uh, the police chief guy. <laughs> the old guy. Who addressed his staff like this, very dramatically, every time. The commissioner or or the um, other guy who, who was chasing Kersey. The inspector. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Are of. inspectors still a thing in he, the States, by the way? Well, the Do guy, we still have inspectors? I don't know. Did we ever really have inspectors? I thought inspectors were in, like, England. The guy I'm thinking of is the one who, who tells the police force, the media is going to ask you if we've got any clues. You can say yes. But don't tell him we have a thousand clues. Like basically saying we don't know, we have no idea that might have been the who the vigilante is. Yes. That guy was my favorite character. I thought that guy brought it for this movie. <laughs> and Bronson was good too. Don't get me wrong. Bronson is good, yeah, but I, I feel like uh, to pick Bronson is an is a cop out. I'm going to go with Ames. Okay. Yeah. Because he's a... Cause, he essentially opens the door for Bronson. Yeah, to and he is not, and I, I would not call him, Stuart McGolan's character, I would not call him a good guy. Because he definitely has a, has an agenda here, and he's definitely a gun-toting, gun-happy Republican. But that being said, I sort of like the character. It, it's a good character. In the writing of the film, 
the Ames character in taking uh, Paul Kersey's character up to where he got to was really pretty well done. Like he pushed him without knowing he pushed him, which was intriguing. The uh, yeah, the character development in this action movie, if that was a ranking, if we had ranked all of the really action good. movies that we have seen based on character development, yes. I think this one would be in the top half for sure. I agree with that. It was really, it was, um, the muggers for the most part couldn't act worth a damn, but some of the primary people could act. So you bring up the muggers, that brings us to our definitive bad guy rankings here. And right now, Hans Gruber from Die Hard is still number one, ahead of Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. Yep. Cobra Kai as a group from Karate Kid. Yep. Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. The Russian mobsters from John Wick. Dennis Hopper from Speed. Bodie from Point Break. And Dom from Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, from the bottom up, it's the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3. Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours. Sloan from Wanted. And General Hummel from The Rock. I think the bad guy in this movie is just the muggers. All of the muggers, right? It's very unclear who the bad guy is in some ways, but yes, the most basic, the basic one is you're correct. It's, it's the muggers. It's all of the muggers. And, you know, it's because it's kind of a nondescript group and because they're mostly terrible and, and not good at mugging and are like not suspecting they, that the, they all have switchblades and dance around. Yeah. They're so, all, yes. They're not because like the category of definitive bad guy rankings is how iconic are they? How good are they as villains? Yes. I got I got to say and it's not like they did what they were supposed to do in this movie. They're basically there to make Charles Bronson look great, right? Yeah. So I got to say they're probably toward the bottom. Oh, like, they are. I can't put them <sighs> The o- the only question that you the only if you try to throw a curveball in, into this entire conversation of the ranking and you were to say, well, actually, by the end, Paul Kersey is sort of the bad guy because he's just going to kill people without question. Hey, he's the good guy, though. He's but that's his- yeah, that 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 debate is just too difficult to, to have. And I would say this. I would say very little thought seemed to be given to the work of said muggers. So I would agree. They are near the bottom of this list. So it's, I, I think if you put them at the bottom, I would not object. I think the incompetent Russian military, like you had hundreds of soldiers just getting mowed down by That's fine. Rambo. Wherever you want to put them, I'm fine. So they're second from the bottom. You. The muggers That's are fine. second from the bottom. That's fine. Again, it's whatever. They played their role. They, they, they did what they were supposed to do. They came in for five minutes in the fourth quarter. Danced and around, got up. shot by Paul Kersey and went home. Now we get to our one through ten Seagal ranking system here to see where Death Wish ranks. The mm. top action movies we have this reviewed to this point. Die Hard is a 10 across the board for us. John Wick, Commando, yep. Fast and the Furious, Expendables, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, Independence Day, and Point Break are all in 8 or higher. At the bottom, we have Bloodsport, Wanted, Rambo 3, and Air Force 1. All of 5 are below. Yep. And in the middle, it's Lethal Weapon, Casino Royale, Karate Kid, Speed, Out for Justice, Con Air, and The Rock. Mm. So what's your one through ten? How many Seagulls are you giving this movie? This is really difficult. Because I appreciate where this came from. And I do have to give it a nod in the fact that they were trying to do something that was just sort of starting at that time. Uh, But that being said, there's some rare air to deal with here. You know what? In fairness, I'm going to just give it a five. Okay, I'm just going to go straight oh. down the middle because there are definite faults here, but some weren't their fault because of when this film in, was came out in 1974. I'm just going to give it a five. It's funny. Um, 
I'm giving it a 6.5. So I'm higher on this movie than you are. And six point, and I, my reasons are just like my reasons for not giving it a higher score are there's not as many layers. Like it's not funny. You know, it's not trying to be funny. And um, there was no comeuppance on the bad guys at the beginning of the movie, which I felt. I think they went back to the back to the stage, probably. Goldblum, I'm telling you, I'm pretty convinced they 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 recruited people who were on (laughs) Broadway to basically. But that's not an explanation for why they didn't why they didn't get killed at the end of the movie. They probably weren't available. Goldblum probably went back to his uh, his role (laughs) in uh, Mamma Mia or something. Was he a stage actor? I have no idea, but he certainly okay. looked—he so certainly looked like he might have been back then. <laughs> certainly looked like he was dancing around, man. So that gives it a five point seven. Uh, we'll round up to five point eight. It's a five point eight on yep. this uh, scale, which puts it as the sixth worst action movie that we have reviewed out of twenty-three to this point. It's just ahead of forty-eight hours, Air Force One, Rambo Three, Wanted, and Bloodsport. Now we do have to say this in, in defense of uh, of Death Wish. And probably in the same vein of the conversation, 48 hours. We are dealing in a weird territory with those films where they were one of the first to do that. Yeah, that's fair. So, like, in fairness to them, they're not going to be as good as as the great ones now or, you know, that, that came along in probably the later 80s into the 90s. Um, but they were trying to sort of perfect this whole thing. Yeah, and so they're gonna they're not gonna get things as perfectly as Die Hard would. If Paul Kersey, sure. if if that film Death Wish in nineteen seventy four, if they had given Paul Kersey like three funny kill lines, like our whole view would be different. Yeah, if there's just a just a touch of humor. Yeah, if the I don't know if the son in law was also a vigilante with him or and brought some I don't know. I will somewhere. say this. I will say this. Of all twenty three films. An action movie rewind that we have gone through. Death Wish might have the best. We'll be back with a sequel ending of any of them. Yes, I love the ending. That was so he sees the mugging taking place, yes. and instead of you know, no, they're just his picking gun. on the girl in Chicago in the train station. Yep, and he goes to help her and picks up her stuff. He looks over and he does the the eye, one eye closed and the finger gun. Yes, does that not does that not say that's great. See you real soon. That's pretty damn good. So uh, so that's it. So Die Hard still remains at the top with John Wick and Commando as the three best action movies we have reviewed. So this, you and Declan flip-flopped. So Declan actually recorded, I have not listened to this yet. Yeah, we, yes. He recorded his pick for us to watch next week. Yes. So I'm going to click play on this. He told us, do not listen to this until you guys are done. I so I, I don't know what this contains, but let's click play. Wait a second. Let me, it helps if I pod this up. Okay. There we go. All right, fellas, here's the deal. It was my turn to pick last week before I realized that I was going to be making mistakes with Brother Liam in North Carolina. I had three movies in mind that I really wanted to pick, and I had one that I was for sure going to pick last Friday before I realized the error of my ways. However, things have changed a little bit, and I'm going to break the rules a tad for Action Movie Rewind. Oh, no. I know we are anti-superhero movie, oh, no. but we have to honor the late, great Chadwick Boseman. And we are going to watch Black Panther. I know you're anti-comic book movies. I know mostly Judd is. This is over two hours long, but it's an action-packed movie from start to finish. Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan are phenomenal. You're going to love this film. And because I'm not here, you can't argue with me. So that means, no matter what, 
We're going to do Black Panther next Friday for Action Movie Rewind when I return from North Carolina. All Book right. It. So Black Panther, uh, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Yeah, that's a I sad have seen one. this before. So here's my beef with this pick. Okay, I feel it. like Declan, after 23 action movies, is still trying to pick movies that are good. And that's hard because this segment is not about good movies. It's about action movies. Right. And, and Black Panther is a legitimate good movie. So if I watch this again, and I watched it in theaters, if I watch this again and come away with the same impression, um, I'm, I'm probably going to downgrade it in the rankings because there needs to be – this isn't I about like you. cinematic masterpiece. This no. is about This is about – there's a certain set of criteria for an action movie that we are looking for in this in – this, uh, like Die Hard has things you can poke holes in and – It's also 80s. It's over the top. That's yeah. different too. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll watch what, it back What's again. the running time of Black Panther? Let's see here. Oh. Black Panther, runtime. I'm big on running oh, time. Oh, you're not going to like this. Two hours and 15 minutes. Oh, good God. It's an extra Declan. 15 minutes of, of your life. I mean, the one thing is, Death Wish was done quickly. Hour and a half, boom, boom. That's what I want. Get you out. That's what I want. And lots of, lots of obser- observations, excuse me. Lots of things to observe from that film. Yep. So, and I already know, I think, unless something changes, I already know what movie I am picking for next week into the week after. Okay. But uh, we'll leave it there. I feel like there might be a violation of the pick here because he's not here. But we agreed to let him pick. And it's no it's no slight on Chadwick Boseman no. or Black Panther. Um, it just goes against, like, a lot of the criteria that we have set for this segment. So, let's do, we'll do it. We'll mm-hmm. do it. And then we'll have a talk with Declan if we need to. Uh, on the on the show next Friday. Yeah, I do think that we need need to be very careful about not getting into a comic book routine. I agree. Superhero routine. Totally agree. I think we can dabble a little bit. Like I think it might make sense to do the first Michael Keaton Batman at some sure. point and like there's definitely but if we get into like a Marvel run or something then it's I feel like that crosses a I that crosses a line that we don't want to cross. I would agree with that. I would agree with yes, that. Yes, I would go for I would if we're going to do Superhero comic book films, I would do the first of a few, but like I don't want to get into trying to break those down because in some ways too, they're too different. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a different rewind series for us. It's a genre it's it's a genre all its own, which is fine. Yeah. Like our guy Rami loved it. But yeah, I think we have to be careful because because we really do want to get into the meat and potatoes of the true thespians like Steven Seagal. Yeah. And there are plenty left, by the way. But that's a wrap oh, on this. There's more Seagal left. There are. I've yes. got them written down in my notepad. Under siege. Um, <laughs> that's a wrap on this episode of Action Movie Rewind. And you can always you can always spend the entire week uh, watching the movies that we throw out there and writing your own notes and sending us your thoughts on Twitter, too, because it's hilarious when you guys do deep dives along with us. But we will see you next time for Action Movie Rewind. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes. I'm Colaguard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. 
Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay zero dollars. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you, or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. 